from midterm meddling to threat modelling, in this week's Shadow Talk, amid news of fake domains registered by APT28, we dive into threats to the midterms and how organisations can go about understanding the threat posed to them by such malicious actors. Richard Gold back to join me, Michael Marriott, to discuss threat modelling, outlining the steps organisations can take to define their critical assets, understand the threat landscape and create scenarios, all on this week's Shadow Talk. And joining me this week to rock the vote, we've got the return of Richard Gold, Head of Security Engineering. Welcome back, Rich. Hi, Mike. Good to be back. Had a well, well-earned break, I gather. It was really nice, thanks. Yeah. So let's, let's dig into the, the story. I'm going to talk about threats to the midterm and specifically how organisations can understand whether they should care about this and how they can go about doing that with threat modelling. So let's start by talking about the the latest breaking stories, and that was the the six domains that were discovered by Microsoft targeting a variety of think tanks and Senate sites, Hudson Institute, and also some Office 365 and OneDrive domain spoofs. I assume looking to get um, fished credentials out there, which would be pretty much in line with the the GRU indictment I know you love so dearly. That was closely followed by a bit of a false alarm, which was a, a spoof for the Vote Builder software. Looked like it was impersonating that, and it also, in the end, turned out to be a legitimate red teaming exercise for the Michigan state. Threats in midterms, obviously all very interesting and something that we should all care about, but from an organization's perspective, I find it um, quite hard to understand, and often people hold threat modeling as an approach to understand this as an organization. Um, lots of people speak very highly of it. Um, to be completely honest, I don't entirely understand the full process for how you would go about threat modeling. So I thought, given your experience, we could use this opportunity to go in a bit further into threat modeling. So to provide some pieces of advice for organizations who may want to go down that route. Sure thing. Now, when we talk about threat modeling, there's many different ways of approaching it. And there are some which are specifically for people who do development work or building systems. So things like Stride, it's very, very useful for that. But what I want to talk about today is a more general approach, which is for many companies which have existing assets that they need to protect. The general process that we take is we try to enumerate an organization's critical assets and we'll talk a bit about how we define critical. Then we look at the threat landscape, which is all the different types of threat actor groups that we can imagine, that we have seen, that we've profiled. Then we take a few of the most relevant threat actor group types, and we profile them in, in more detail. And then we take some likely scenarios of how the threat actors that we've chosen would attack our critical assets with what TTPs and how we could respond to that, detect that, prevent that, and uh, build that into our approach for securing our organization. Let's start with the critical assets an organization has. Now, every organization has critical assets. First question is, of course, what do we define as critical? And that can really vary. So some regulated industries, as an example, may actually be told by their regulator what 
the regulator considers to be the critical assets. And that's a good place to start, of course. So this would be like PCI compliance? Yeah, um, it can be also, for example, any organization that does trading, so that runs an exchange. So they can be regulated by various government agencies in different jurisdictions. So that can give you a quite clear view as to what certainly the regulator, as I mentioned, thinks is critical. Now, the other thing to, to think about here is that a company's own measure of criticality may not actually track the attacker's notion of criticality. So typical examples would be something like if you're in retail point of sale terminals and the um, data, the payment card data that they hold, as we saw with the, the Fin7 indictment, that, that was something that Fin7 were very keen on investigating. It may be customer data, PII, PHI, all these kinds of things. These are you know, very standard notions of, of critical assets. But we've also seen, for example, things like social media accounts that nation state proxies, hacktivists, and others have targeted these and have caused massive reputational damage, you know, big problems for, for companies to sort out. So you have to be, it's always a bit of both. It's always a bit of what you consider to be critical, as in what are the business risks if you lose access to you know, a payment processing portal, what happens then, these kind of business continuity issues, but as well as what do we understand as what attackers are interested in. Yeah, a great example of that was the recent or in the last couple of months news with the Wintire umbrella and the targeting of organizations to steal certificates so that they could sign their own malware for later attacks. Yeah, exactly. That's a really interesting point. And we've seen a bunch of these kind of attacks where they've gone after gaming companies and others which have code signing material, cryptographic material, which can be used for signing malware. And I think that's a really interesting aspect to all of this is that you may not be the target. You may be of interest to certain types of, of attackers, but you may not be the ultimate target. You may be a stepping stone on the way. And that could be supply chain compromise, trusted relationship, or even that you have some asset like the, the, the crypto that you mentioned. So that's uh, something to keep in mind. So if we were to do that for the, the midterms, what would you think would be the, the critical information that organizations should be looking at defining? So if we look at, for example, the, the GRU indictment, which gives us a very clear view into at least what one attacker was interested in, they went after emails, they went after the analytics that had been generated, and they went after internal documents and other you know, non-public information, opposition research, this kind of thing. So if uh, we're talking about a political party as one type of organization, that's the sort of thing they may be interested in. If we look at, for example, voting machine manufacturers, they may have intellectual property about how their machines are built, which would be of interest to an attacker. And of course, any uh, internal information around that, technical information, manuals, maybe even security assessments that they've carried out. And if we talk about the states who actually are carrying out the, the voting process, then any IT they have around that voter registration databases, for example, would certainly be something that would be of interest to attackers. Absolutely. And um, I don't know whether it's worth mentioning that obviously there are lots of different ways to skin a cat 
in terms of meddling in an election. So would you consider a sort of a news site and spoofing of that news site in terms of manipulating voter opinion rather than the actual, the polls themselves? Is that something that you consider as, as, as an asset in terms of your domain and ownership around that? Yeah, I think this is an interesting one, right? Because it's not directly your asset that is being attacked, but rather your asset's reputation. And I think that's something which we've seen in a lot of the disinformation campaigns. Um, Facebook has some really nice uh, p- papers around that. The, this hijacking of the reputation, or using the reputation of others to further your own goals is absolutely something that I think many organizations which are related to the election process need to be concerned about. Okay, so critical assets understood. Um, what comes next if you're looking at threat modeling? So next, we tend to look at the threat landscape, and that is effectively all the different types of threat actors which are out there. So we look at, for example, hacktivists, single-issue pressure groups, insiders, whether they're intentional or unintentional. So that's like a malicious insider who is trying to sabotage an organization or that someone an employee who makes a mistake. Competent individual hackers, criminal groups, so things like Fin7 would fit into that, nation state proxies like Syrian electronic army, and then actual nation states themselves and their foreign intelligence agencies, militaries, and so on, who are, um, are up to nefarious deeds in the cybers. <laughs> And what, are you looking at anything in specific about these, these groups, I assume, their TTPs? Yeah, exactly. So what we tend to do is to break down these threat actor types into their capability and their intent. So the capability is exactly this, understanding their common TTPs. For example, hacktivists, we typically like to DDoS things, like to deface things, like to dox people. That's their typical MO. Whereas, for example, criminal groups, for example, like Bruce's team with Fin7, it's a lot around spear phishing, it's a lot around social engineering and that kind of stuff. So the different threat actor types do have common TTPs. And I mean, as just to be clear here, this is not exhaustive. This is not detailing every single nuance and but this is a way to give you a rough understanding that you can then reuse in your own organization. So it's a way of just trying to figure out the shape of the landscape rather than every single blade of grass, every single detail. Yeah. And for those organizations that may not have a huge internal threat intelligence team or access to huge resources, are there any particular sources of information that you might turn to to gain this information about TTPs, particularly of, of nation state um, proxies and so on and so forth? Unsurprisingly, I'm a huge fan of the attack framework from MITRE. That's definitely my go-to. Uh, APT notes, could you turn to that? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. That, that's, that's great. I mean, it's a great res- resource and you know, they have all of the, 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 the raw data for you, but it's not contextualized in the way that the attack framework has. And the, the way that they've done it in attack is they do have groups of threat actors and they do have information about their TTPs and have broken it down into a framework. With something like APT Notes, which I've used myself many times, 
it's um it's the raw data effectively right you have the third party reporting from these different vendors and there is a lot of of course a lot of value in there but then you've got to do a lot of the legwork yourself to kind of make sense of it so well we're talking we just talked about the capability of the different threat actor types then the next part is the intent so where capability is fairly generic that's something that you you know all the threat actors in a particular type will share. So that's not something which, which is specific to your organization. Whereas intent is all about who you are and why a particular threat actor group would be interested in you specifically. So what would they hope to gain? What would be their goals? And that's, that's the really interesting part of the threat modeling process. And again, it's often quite surprising because you may have sort of fairly standard ones, as I mentioned, like we hold payment card data, criminal groups interested in payment card data. We hold information about other political parties, nation states want to get hold of this information. So there's the fairly standard ones and well-documented ones we've seen from indictments and and vendor reports, quite a lot of detail around that. But as I mentioned, things which can also be quite surprising, like competent individual hackers. We've seen Phineas Fisher go after hacking team very publicly and you know, be extremely effective in, in, um, in breaking in there and, and exfiltrating pretty much everything. So there can also be the surprises. So it's an interesting process to go through to think about who's out there and what they're interested in. And this is where something like APT notes can help you in terms of understanding what do attackers typically go after, who are they interested in? And of course, you know, being up to date with the news and current events is of course uh, very important here. This is not something where, again, you can unfortunately, you unfortunately can't be exhaustive about. You can't really say that, right, we've, we're done but you have to do at least something to understand which adversaries, which threat actor groups are likely to be interested in the critical assets that you hold. So my question here is that obviously there's a creative process. Um, Where do you draw the line and and make sure that you're not going down a rabbit hole and trying to enumerate everything? Like where's the balance? Yeah, that's, um, that's a really tough question to answer. I think, what what happens very naturally is you only have a limited amount of time budgeted for these exercises and you will run out of time. And, you know, if you, you simply, the, the, the space is simply too big for you to enumerate anything, everything, sorry. So I think that, again, trying to emphasize the threat actor groups, which are the ones which are most likely to be interested in you. So for example, if you have been targeted before by a particular type of threat actor, that's probably a good place to start. You probably want to spend time working on that. And so we, we rank typically the intent and capability of the threat actor groups. And then you know, we assign them a, a, a scoring effectively and then just take the top three as the ones where that's where we're going to start. Yeah. So the, if you were to define a, a top three or top four for the midterm elections... What would you go for? Yeah, so obviously, as we've seen from the GRU indictment, nation states definitely interested in this kind of thing. I would say hacktivists 
for any kind of political stripe. We're interested in discrediting their opponents, scoring political points. Also individual hackers who are politically motivated or maybe even have a grudge against a particular candidate. These are the sorts of threat actor types I can imagine being quite interested in the whole process around the midterm elections. And it's also a nice way to exclude things. So organized criminal groups, for example, probably not so much a factor in this situation specifically, although there could be a blackmail or extortion angle, which would be of interest to them. So they would certainly be on the list, but not at the top. What about, I, I know this is tying to my own question about when do you go too far, but sort of spoofing Senate candidates' donation websites, there could be a um, financial motivation there. I know I, I've seen one that's recently registered by a Proton Mail account, which probably isn't typical of a Senate candidate. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a nice observation. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you, again, you have to have that cutoff point because you, you have limited time, you have limited resources. So it's an arbitrary thing, but like the top three is not a bad place to start. But yeah, there may well be uh, organizations or threat actor groups further down the list, which are still active. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not involved at all, but they're not at the top in terms of their capability and intent. Okay. So the, fi- the final part of this is arguably the most fun and that's a scenario development um, do, do you want to talk about the different ways in which you can achieve this yeah so when we've done this kind of work in the past we've usually done it as part of a threat load penetration test so there would be a pen test team red team who would actually execute the, the test and, and then there would be some scenario work built into that. So and sometimes that can be done by uh, as a completely separate company or that can be done internally by an organization depending on the kind of issues that they're trying to solve. So that's one way that you can do it. So what the, the, the workflow would be something like we take threat actor type X, let's say uh, nation state, and it's targeting critical asset. And then we would choose our critical asset, let's say our emails for our political party. And then we would work out the TTPs that the threat actors would typically use. So for example, the GRU indictment, the way that we broke it down with the attack framework details quite specifically what sort of TTPs they would use or have used in the past, of course, should be clear on that. Who knows what they'll get up to in the future. And then you can map out how do those TTPs go together with your security controls? So how do you mitigate, prevent, detect these kind of TTPs in your environment? What security controls do you have to deal with this? And this can uncover the gaps in your controls. You can say, well, these kind of TTPs I've got covered. I've got my email filtering in place. I've got my two-factor authentication got UTF tokens, you know, you can really you can map that out. This thing, for example, patching, we need to do some work on and help you work out a remediation plan. So you, you know, that can be executed by a red team, or it can even be done as a tabletop exercise. And I think tabletop exercises are quite underrated 
as an evaluation tool. I think just working through the steps of how would we deal with situation X, Y, or Z can be, can be very helpful. And if you have an incident response plan, how that's going to feed into all of this, I think it is also, also very useful and it enables you, the tabletop exercise enables you to think about these, um, these kind of scenarios which are maybe difficult to test as well. So for example, a massive distributed denial of service attack that takes out your, your website, your customer facing website is a difficult thing to simulate. People tend to be quite upset when you throw you know, terabits of traffic across the network. So thinking about it in terms of a tabletop exercise, like who do we call? How do we respond? How do we notify our customers? You know, do we have a law enforcement liaison? All these kinds of things. Uh, a tabletop exercise can be really good for just figuring out where the gaps are and helping you to figure out then your remediation plan. Yeah. And of course, if you do go down the, the red teaming and penetration test route, then probably if you're going to be imitating a, a voting software of the DNC, then, then probably let the, uh, the people that you're spoofing know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Communication is, is essential. And there's, but this is also why we see things, for example, like Cobalt Strike, a great bit of software, it bills itself as a threat emulation software. And part of the reason for this is that they see it as part of these kind of scenario testing approaches so that you can say, right, I want Cobalt Strike to behave like this piece of criminal malware or this nation state tool. And it can emulate the C2 channels. It has all of these malleable C2 profiles. And I think this is absolutely brilliant and is absolutely the way forward for seeing how, how advanced do you have to be before, before you can't prevent, detect, or mitigate against it. And I think something like Cobalt Strike is, is great for this, and maybe there are, there are other tools, and a lot of stuff is now being built on the attack framework for doing threat emulation, so you can take an attack, you know, a, 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 an attacker workflow mapped out in a, the attack framework and then transfer that into some tooling which will then execute that attack against your environment in a safe manner and you can see, you know, which TTPs did you pick up, which, which ones you didn't and help you prioritize your, your remediation plan. All right. Thank you, Rich. Um, really appreciate you going through those and I think that's a really useful way to actually outline how we go about threat modeling. I, I see it talked about a lot and people holding it up in high praise, but to actually drill down into it a little bit more, I think it's a really useful way of going about it. Yeah, and I think that the, the nice thing with threat modeling is that it can be as sort of big and complex as you like. So it doesn't have to be something which you, know, you only do if you are some you know, tier one financial organization even a small organization with the limited resources, you can do a tabletop exercise of you know, a handful of key scenarios. And that will, be, that will be useful. And just going through that process of trying to figure out what do we consider to be our critical assets from the business? And you know, really that focus should be on what are, your, what are your business processes which are most critical, ones which you can't live without, other threats, issues with 
availability. You know, if our customer-facing website goes down, is that the worst thing that can happen? Is it that we have confidential information or personal information? And if that information became public, would be our worst-case scenario. Or is it that people trust that the information we hold is correct? So, for example, this would be you know, vote, registering of votes. Like, if the integrity for this is questioned is that our worst case scenario and just working through this and working through what the typical groups are and how they operate just going through this process already i think shines a very clear light on what needs to be done in the future to improve the security posture of any organization yeah all great points and i'm sure there's a, a lot more that we'll see specifically around the midterms but um also how threat modeling can help organizations more generally Okay, I think that's all for today. Thank you for joining us, Richard. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you at home for listening. Take care.